Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in once again to the Cube and Chaos podcast. I am Max, aka Finite. And I'm Jakob, aka Crackshot. Hey everybody. And today we have a very special guest with us, Coltic Cube, aka John Terrell, and a just really prominent figure in the Cube community, played a huge role in uh, KubeCon and its organization recently. Also has now had two Spotlight Cubes up on Magic Online, so if you play Cube, you know, John would be a <laughs> good person to follow on Twitter and keep track of that kind of thing so yeah yeah thank you so much for having me i'm delighted and honored to be here well, thanks for joining us especially on such short notice Jakob was thinking to start with your signature spell book so just to allow listeners to have a bit of a better idea about like who you are what your history and magic is like that kind of thing okay awesome yeah this is such a cool project i love that you guys do this i listen with interest to everybody else's signature spell books it's super revealing so yeah i've got some cards for you all and my first is ponder so we all know what ponder is i'm sure single blue mana for a sorcery look at the top three cards put them back in any order you can shuffle draw a card. This is an old standby and this is just one of those cards that sparks joy for me. Like I'm, you know, it's a straightforward effect, but it feels so incredibly powerful. It is such a powerful effect, I think. Gives me such control over my draws, allows me to pitch things if I don't like what I see. And I just love cantrips a lot. So tack, draw a card onto most anything, and, <laughs> and I'm, a, I'm a happy person. Yeah, so ponder, this is maybe a sort of easy mode pick, but it, uh, it it's a card that makes me very happy. I would so, call it an easy mode pick i have not seen it in any other signature spellbook i believe and yeah yeah it, it is hard can play in many very different uh, environments yeah yeah i agree that um it doesn't seem like easy mode to me i love cantrips too and you know my first thought upon seeing ponder is like hmm, like you know how did you choose ponder like what about something like preordain is there anything anything for you that i don't know splits the difference or yeah yeah no i love i love preordain as well and so ponder it could honestly it could be the one or the other i think that they're both extremely powerful i like i like ponder for the shuffle effect there's that you you see a little bit further which is nice i don't know so i love i love preordain too it could have been either one honestly and this i feel like is kind of a stand-in for all kinds of card selection and cantrip effect. I'm high on a lot of them, even ones that work sort of differently. Like I love things like hieroglyphic illumination as well, which is that instant for three and a blue that draws two, but you can cycle it for a single blue, right? Yep. And um, I just love that flexibility and I just love being able to trade in a card for another card. It's a hallmark of the so-called Xerox strategy and deck building, an idea that has a long pedigree where you fill your deck with cantrips, with inexpensive cantrips, and you can burn through your deck to find the component that you need and that's totally my style of uh of deck building and play i love it gotcha well it looks and like next up you might also have a, a cantrip on there is that right i do i do yeah and so ne next up we've got shark typhoon this is my favorite card that's been published in the last i don't know a couple of years however old it is now it comes from ikoria um, it's an enchantment for what's what a set what a set oh what a set i know oh my gosh ikoria there were some real bangers there. <laughs> it's a, an enchantment for five and a blue. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you create an XX blue shark creature token with flying, where X is that spell's converted mana cost. So that's what the card claims to do. <laughs> but I don't know about you all, but I can probably count on one hand the number of times that I've sort of cast the card for, for its, you know, printed value. Sure. So you are, um, you are not a caster, a cycler. Uh, 
I'm a cycler. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I, I that's right. Actually, love when my opponents cast it. I think, hey, 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 you cast it, and then I get absolutely destroyed by it. That's actually cool. It's oh, pretty no. great. <laughs> yeah. It, it happens yeah, so rarely, no, but it can, if they cast it, they often have a good reason to do so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. And we're running it in the Cartographia cube that we'll get to here at some point. And there, I think there's you may have more incentive to cast it as there's an Enchantress deck in the format that can very easily have blue as one of its key colors. So there you might cast it just as an enchantment, you know, because you want your enchantment stuff to fire. But uh, to complete the card, here's here's what's most exciting to me about the card. It has cycling for X, one, blue. So you can pay one and a blue and then any amount you want and cycle it. And when you cycle it, you create an XX blue shark creature token with flying. So we've got, we've got a cycler that is inexpensive. It could be a two mana cycler with X equals zero. That's not what you want to be doing, but you could do it. So you're getting to draw a card at instant speed in an uncounterable way. You get to create a creature. It scales beautifully throughout the game. You can make it as large as you have the mana to make it. And again, it's uncounterable, and the creature has evasion. It's all upside. <laughs> it's a great card. Sure, it is super powerful. And like your mention of its uncounterability reminds me that like card that's one X in blue for a flyer and draws a card when you cast it and has flash with like still be a good card right so yeah, yeah. it's just even better um, yeah it's very true gosh it's a card that does a lot and we shouldn't yeah, uh, go ahead forget about the flavor here like it's one of the most fun cards in serious quote-unquote magic <laughs> like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> shark typhoon creating flying sharks it is yeah. pretty out there at really cool oh that's a great point yeah you're right it wouldn't it it wouldn't feel amiss to run across this in a, a silver bordered no set. it wouldn't um but, <laughs> but here it is yeah <laughs> and it's real magic that's cool yeah yeah Oh, oh, another thing I want I meant to mention about Ponder is I've got two kids and I've got them playing magic, you know, as you do, trying to indoctrinate them to the cause. <laughs> and um, <laughs> my my six year old told me the other day that his very favorite card is Ponder and his very his second favorite card is Inferno Titan. So I feel like I've got a I've got a cuber in the making here. Oh he's, yeah, <laughs> you know he's got he's got he's got good ideas. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, you've taught him well. If, you know his favorite card is your the number one in your spell book here yeah yeah right another impetus to, to name to name ponder here in the signature <laughs> spell good to know we don't have to worry about the next 60 years of cubecon it's all in good hands yeah that's right <laughs> Yeah, next generation is coming. Some people brought their kids to KeepCon actually as well, which was super exciting. Oh, so, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was really cool. We just did a quick search and it turns out Ponder and Inferno Titan are both in uh, M12. So if your Ooh. son ever opens an M12 pack and, <laughs> and sees both of them, it could be a very tough pick. <laughs> and they could both be there. <laughs> That's cool. That's right. Forge ahead here. The next one I've got down is Wolfira Avenger. And this one, it might feel like kind of a hot take, but but hear me out. This was this was from what Avison restored, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's one green green for a wolf warrior who's a three three. It's got flash and it's got pay one and a green regenerate wolf here avenger. And this I have stuck in here as a stand in for a whole host of green mid range creatures. So one of the things that I bang on about sometimes and try to convince people of, I hear people who have issues with how green is playing in their environment or how their green decks are 
are playing. One reason that people may be struggling often, I find, is that they're running dorks like you do, and that's great, but then they're trying to use their dorks to get to a woodfall primus or something, yep. right? And I don't think that's a winning line often because you're just too, it's too fragile a system that you've got going trying to support getting that high up the up the curve. So I think that dorks are seminally important, but one should have more sort of modest objectives in what one is ramping to. So for me, three and four mana threats in green are a, a place to look. If you want to make the dork deck viable outside of the cheaty stuff like natural order. And so three and four mana threats that are sticky, that are fast in the sense that they have flash, play them on your opponent's end step, or you can ambush things. They've got regeneration, they accrue additional value either by creating uh, extra bodies themselves or by recurring from the graveyard, say. Um, all of these all of these are key to this kind of strategy, as are planeswalkers, right? Three and four mana green planeswalkers are excellent here as well. Mm -hmm. So there's stuff that it's difficult for the opponent to doom blade and be done with. You want stuff that's going to stick to the board and is going to beat them down quickly. So Wolfier Avenger, he's it looks kind of innocuous. He's this three mana three three, but he's got flash and he's got regenerate. So he ticks a bunch of these. He ticks a bunch of these boxes, and he's a thing that you know people don't always respect, but is a thing that can just get you dead. You know when you're using this kind of strategy. Yeah, not only that, but I think it's a card that also interacts very well when you're not the aggressive. It's green interaction mm. in a way that <laughs> that's green true. doesn't have so plenty of. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, green really likes being able to play at instant speed as well and not be beholden to playing on their own main phases all of the time. That can, I mean, that can sort of hamstring a deck when you're only able to play stuff at, at sorcery speed. Green should be able to do that too, just like all the other colors. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> I'm yeah. really excited about this take when you put Wolfer Avenger on there in the first place. I was just kind of thinking, okay, like this is a really good limited card. I wasn't expecting it to, you know, be discussed in what I assume is the context of like a fairly high powered cube. And yet it it really seems like it could fit, like particularly against, you know, the aggressive like monocolor decks that are trying to play creatures smaller than three three, like on turns right. one and two and attack. Like this card seems like it could really destroy people. And like you said, yeah. you know, in conjunction with mana dorks, like if I'm trying to attack with my Usher of the Fallen or something, and you're tapping your Mana Dork in two lands and just eating it, like, <laughs> I yeah. imagine that's not going to go well for me. So it'd be really cool to to see what might happen if this were to show up in either like the Magic Online Vintage Cube or uh, someone like Matt, Matt Grenier's Vintage Cube. He has a similar vision about green not being so ramp oriented. So yeah, yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense to me. And this was one of the um, one of the hallmarks of the first cube I ran on MTGO, which I branded the Cultic Cube. And so there I had this green midrange package, and it had stuff like Troll Ascetic in it, who's another three mana guy that's got Hexproof and Regenerate, and Nightpack Ambusher, that four mana wolf that's got Flash and that can as a wolf lord and spit out more wolves. Vorapede is a card that people don't give enough love to anymore. I don't think five mana thing from Dark ascension think that is a 5-4 vigilance trample and it has undying these kind of threats like they're classically mid-range threats in that they're going just slightly bigger than aggro is just as you were describing right if on turn two you're dropping a 3-3 that makes all of this like goblin piker type thing savannah lions look 
worse, and it pressures control, and these sticky threats are particularly good at pressuring control because, you know, they live through spot removal, they live through wraths in the sense something like Vorpede is, is you know, you wrath the port, it's just going to come back even bigger <laughs> and stronger than before, you know. So it's uh, it's kind of a pet strategy, but it, it really is a way, I think, to leverage, to leverage dorks, which otherwise, I mean, it's a powerful effect getting ahead on mana, but going all in on dorks can be this all-in strategy that is fragile. Absolutely, yeah, and you just put so much air in your deck when you're running like seven one ones or whatever so well, speaking of one ones your next card generates some <laughs> it does yeah retrofitter foundry this was from some commander set commander 2018 i guess single generic mana for an artifact and it just sits there and does things so you can pay two and tap it and create a one one servo you can pay one and tap it and you can sack a servo and create a one one thopter with flying or you can tap it and sack a thopter to create a four four construct and you can pay three generic mana to untap untap the retrofitter founder itself so if you have you know worlds of mana you're just all tapping untapping doing i love this card this is a card that i think actually has gotten a lot more deserved respect lately yeah i hope it is on people's radar i think it's a very good card it does a million different things it's a mana sink it is a one it's a turn one artifact turn one play period it's a turn one artifact in particular which can be hugely important if you're interested in tinkering or welding or just getting metalcraft you know upping artifact count that kind of thing i've got a jenny johnny uh, part of my soul somewhere that just loves fiddly things like this i used to try to make trading post with the goats i used to, <laughs> to try to make that card work oh yeah i kind of love that card too it's like not a good card <laughs> the four mana artifact that makes goats and draws cards and sacks artifacts and does different things it's super sweet it's way too slow retrofitter foundry it, it reminds me of that but it's it's much more viable in lots of different builds of cube and even at very high powered i think you know this is a real card yeah i would say even mostly at high power because this card just by itself it gets going and then there's no stopping it It, but (laughs) somehow it's a card you have to experience before you truly believe that it's that good (laughs) yeah that's true i put it in my in one of my decks because i needed playables for my lotus deck some time ago actually no the first time i played it was in a in a controlling deck just because it plays so nicely with counters you develop it turn one and then till the end of the game you can always keep your counters up and still build a huge board that was already pretty good but there it had like good synergy and in that Lurus deck where I ran right. it, it didn't actually have that much synergy but still it performs well yeah 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 right it, it, it's got all sorts of little corner case uses as well like the the sacking thing that can be useful something that a, a build that cares about de- death triggers or um, yeah. revolt or any of that kind of stuff you know it, yeah sweet card it does an awful lot yeah it's a really good uh, card for for what it looks like and yeah like you said i think it is getting more recognition nowadays i've heard people i don't remember which cube this was but i heard people refer to it as like the best card in a cube not super long ago and or like one of the best first picks yeah (laughs) not the well not like a super high powered cube of course and it's getting some friends which is nice like currency converter is a recent card that's also a one mana artifact that does fiddly things like that i don't think currency converter we don't have to read the card necessarily people can look it up it's cute and i like it too but it's not quite as good as its older brother here yeah i still haven't had a chance to play with currency converter yet but my impression just from reading them both and playing with the foundry is that the converter is merely very good in (laughs) a lot of the environments i design whereas like yeah andre is just over the top like busted for 
a lot of the kind of clunkier <laughs> slow cubes that i have right right a nice kind of former sleeper card i guess yeah yeah it is i'm glad it's getting its recognition all right so i'll, I'll, I'll clip on here my next one is conqueror's foothold conqueror's foothold you ask that's not a card it is a card it's just not the front <laughs> face of a card <laughs> this is the this is the back face of conqueror's galleon which is a vehicle from ixalan and so i've been a proponent for a very long time of you know making making magic work for you we're cube designers we're we're designing our environments you know as we as we like we should feel free to play with cards as we like that's something that you and your group are happy doing or if it works on the platform you're using Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. Doesn't work on MTGO, yeah. unfortunately. No, but <laughs> for curating and paper, we can do what we want. Darn it. We can take Sharpies to things, whatever. <laughs> I don't do a ton of that, actually, but I do modify stuff sometimes. It's not usually the Sharpie model, but it's more doing things like this. So Conqueror's Foothold, the the front, ignore the front. The vehicle's terrible. Look at the back. The back is a land called Conqueror's Foothold, and it's got four abilities. Oh, we got more fiddly stuff, you guys. <laughs> You can tap <laughs> you can tap to add a colorless mana, so that's good. And it enters untapped, so you know good. You can pay two and tap it to draw a card and then discard a card. You can pay four and tap it to just straight draw a card, or you can play six and tap it to return target card from your graveyard to your hand. You can regrow something. I love this card so much. It's got so much utility. It has almost no drawback except that it doesn't tap for a color. You can put this card in any deck, really, and at some point in the game, if you're spinning your wheels, you can be drawing cards or you can be regrowing stuff or whatever. You can put it in deck that like some of its effects in a more targeted way. So you could be in a reanimator deck and wow, is this a high pick all of a sudden because you've got a discard outlet, uh, you know, this looting effect that is extremely difficult to interact with for the opponent compared to, you know, one of the creatures that that loots, for example. Yeah, mm-hmm. it also is much cleaner than playing the bazaar or something like that. <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it is. Anyway, this is a super cool card. I run it I run it this way flipped. People and people love it. People are charmed to see it. That's part of the fun for me again as well, I suppose. Like uh Ryan Sachs was drafting my cube at some point and he saw the card and he was like he was he was very excited and he's like, How is this not a pack one pick one? <laughs> and I for me, I, I don't think it actually is a pack one pick one. I think it's a very cool card. The effects all have a real cost though. Like to loot effectively costs you three mana, right? To draw a card effectively costs you five mana because it's four and tap yeah. this land, right? To draw. So I don't think the effects are broken. I think they're, you know, priced pretty conservatively. So for me anyway, this is a mid-pack pickup that I'm I'm happy to pick, but I, I don't think it's a slam dunk. And then like at KubeCon, Sam Black was drafting my cube and he got to Conquer's foothold and he leapt up from the table and he went wandering around calling for a judge. And I was like, is this is this real? Is it supposed to be like this? He was so excited. He couldn't he couldn't wait to play it. And he's like, I'm building my deck around this thing. That's it. I'm gonna make this thing do cool things. Great to hear. Like, anyway, that's the it. excitement of people like Ryan. Ryan and Sam like that's I don't know it's just awesome that that they get so into it and I think in terms of like yeah the conservative nature of the costs like well side note for these like kind of staff of domination callbacks I really enjoy kind of like the little pattern of the costs um this and with like foundry Mm. it's just kind of subconsciously like pleasing about it or I want to say something like that but Mm. this were 
like one, two, three or something for the abilities, then it probably would be a pack one, pick one, right? Like for for yeah. for that low of a cost reach activation. So yeah, I think this is a really cool choice for for something. You know, if you if you're going to pick a card to run upside down, like this this seems like a great contender. <laughs> I I guess if anything, I'm a little disappointed you couldn't put it into like Cartographia Cube like this for yeah because this seems like an amazing card for that environment yeah me too i i I in fact floated it briefly not expecting that anyone was going to go for it and they're like yeah no we're not like reprogramming things (laughs) so that you can run your cube for a week on but have you considered running it as an mdfc basically like giving it even more modes Mm. saying you could play it on from the front side if you'd be in such (laughs) it's hard to imagine that that's people would opt for the the four mana 210 but (laughs) i mean it would be a bit ramping in some case maybe it's interesting maybe yeah maybe you need a (laughs) very funky blocker (laughs) i don't know yeah that's a good idea that hadn't even occurred to me i just totally ignore the boat the poor boat (laughs) but yeah i mean it doesn't make the card why not give people the option to play the front side Mm, yeah that's true i i did used to do thing give people options in certain respects like with meld cards i don't run any of those anymore but i used to Oh, no. Well, I do actually still, maybe, like Hanweir Garrison, I think, is still mm-hmm. in one yeah. of my cubes. And it melds with Hanweir Battlements or something, and then it becomes some scary Eldrazi something something. Yeah. So Hanweir Garrison is totally fine as Rabble Master number 800 or whatever. <laughs> but the Battlements, it's a land, and I don't even remember what all it does, but it's super unimpressive. So for a while, I was doing things like putting what I considered the real cards in the cube as draftable. And then at the end of the draft, if you drafted half of the card, you could go to the box and get the other half just for free and add it to your pool and that was people thought that was kind of cute for a while but then all people just stopped doing it pretty fast like maybe you live the dream once and that's cool but it happens so rarely and you just don't want this other darn card in your deck to begin with (laughs) so i just kind of i I gave up on on having allowing for the meld thing to happen where the some partnering effect from maybe battle bond where there's like an angel and a demon that you can that pair together somehow I i don't know what i'm talking about i forget it's been too long well moving on i've got more lands are you ready yeah <laughs> for sure <laughs> okay we know you like land we love that lands yeah with the last cube <laughs> yeah we, we got the memo for sure Okay, so this is Spikefield Hazard. This is from Zendikar Rising. It's an instant for a single red mana, and it deals one damage to any target. Also, it's sort of nice that if a permanent dealt damage this way would die this turn, you get to exile it instead. You get to your opponent has the honor of exiling <laughs> and then but it's an mdfc a modal double face card on the back side it is called spike field cave and it taps for red and it enters the battlefield tap so i don't know about you all but oh my gosh i was so excited in fact continue to be so excited honestly about these mdfc that have land on one side and spell on the other side that theros beyond death gave us over the moon about these things i jammed like 20 of them into <laughs> all my cubes you know i just love that versatility i love lands of course i love lands that do things i mean i love lands that fix as well and i go deep on those and in, in almost all of my environments because i want people to be able to play magic darn it <laughs> i mean there's enough variance baked into the to magic yeah. in in my book that i would rather people be successful at building mana bases that are going to be reliable enough to like give them a good shot at doing the things that they want to do and we're not just sitting here because the person's got nothing but planes in hand and they can't cast any of their spell over it for sure um, <laughs> so anyway <laughs> yeah i just was thinking we have quite a few people in our discord who 
would just uh, fault them for putting any blue cards in the deck in the first place, but <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> no. That's true. Yeah. Oh, no. All right. Well, all these people tune- turned off the radio as soon as we opened with Ponder then. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Then we got to Shark Typhoon, and they're like, what is this nonsense? <laughs> yeah. But they probably turned the radio back on for the Wolfhair Avenger. That's that's the good news. So Okay, good. <laughs> so Should have led with that one, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so Spike Field Hazard, I mean, pretend this is an iconic moment, but it's mainly just iconic within my head that uh, I first started building my one-mana cube. Like, the first three cards I added were the three one-mana MDFCs because they're just, like, yeah, oh, nice. just, like, excellent choices for that kind of format. And, like, there's just never ever a world where they're going to be broken, never a world where they're going to be bad. So, yeah, yeah I mean, plenty yeah. of other cubes can accommodate those as well there have been like peasant cubes in the past that have run like every single mdfc which is it's a lot yeah or i guess i should specify the the land mdfcs because there are others like um the deans and whatnot but nobody's as hot on them lands. <laughs> yeah yeah and the the uncommon ones that enter tapped i mean that is a real cost but i i think that's fun that's part of the puzzle that you're presenting to your drafters and figuring out how many untapped lands they can run given what they're trying to accomplish in the deck and given the mana requirements of the deck the the lower to the ground your deck is the you know the less you want to be able to you the less you want to play tapped lands right if you're just trying to get them dead i've reduced the number of these mdfc that i've run in my environments over time uh, which isn't to say i don't like them the tap thing is an issue there's some that i still quite like and spike field hazard i i still mean a good card it looks sort of innocuous but um this like flame jab effect can be really quite good especially in environment mine often are where we we do have a lot of x1 target and you know you want to bolt the bird right and this yeah. gives you a way on turn one to, to to bolt the bird or if this isn't relevant or you just need land or whatever it it is in fact a land so what a good and flexible card i like it a lot sure i guess my last note about these designs would be for most cubes with a relatively high power level that are three packs of 15 if not um you know ones that have more than three packs or more than 15 cards per pack it's so easy to get enough good cards for the main deck other picks are kind of strained between like sideboard sometimes you can find good cards for the sideboard but not super often in this kind of cube mixing is a really big thing in a lot of really powerful cubes but it's hard to find something like this where it's like still a way you can improve your deck improve the consistency uh by just you know creating a slot that's both a land and a spell that kind of thing when you have like excess picks in a draft relative to what you need to make playables can really be valuable in my opinion so Oh yes, I'm totally with you. Oh, you're preaching. You're preaching to the <laughs> choir here with me, Max. I'm. I'm I agree with you 100. This is something that I that I preach as well. If you've got if you're making 45 picks that are going to be your pool, if in the if in s- somehow you end up in a deck with 23 spells and 17 lands and all of your lands are basic, then you've got 22 cards that are in your pool that are just sitting there, that are useless, or they're sideboard cards, right, or whatever. The more lands you can take, the more lands that do things that you can pick up, the more of your picks matter. You're getting, I mean, you're getting more cards to play with than your hypothetical opponent who also has 17 basics in their in their deck. And this is just a hugely powerful sort of hack. It almost 
feels like cheating when I've got a deck full of all these lands that do stuff and, you know, I've only got 10 basics in the deck or, or whatever. I, I just feel like I'm so far ahead of the opponent often. Sure. Yeah. And just thinking about it from the cube designer standpoint, <clears throat> you're giving people more picks that are interesting, that actually matter. And that is also something yeah. you want. Increase the interaction during the draft with right. less non-picks. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great. Totally with you. I won't spend much time on these last couple. Let me just hit my last my last few things. They're all of a piece here. I grouped all these lands at the end. Spoiler alert, they're more lands. <laughs> <laughs> so one is Boseju who endures. This is from uh, the new Kamigawa ne Neon Dynasty. Legendary land. It enters untapped. It taps to add green. Or you can channel it and for one and a green and discard it, and you can destroy target artifact enchantment or non-basic land an opponent controls, and then that player can search their library for a land with a basic card type, put it onto the battlefield, shuffle, this ability costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control. That's a whole lot of text, <laughs> but I mean, what? It, yeah, I just read the whole thing. You, we don't care about all of that, really, but it's hard for me to put a naturalize in most environments in the main deck, like a, a, a literal disenchant or a literal naturalize, right? doesn't feel good to be main decking that unless you're in like artifact.cube, you know, in which case fair, but wow right? Here's a way that it's a land. It's a forest. It's not a forest, but you know, it taps for green mana with no restriction, but it's also a disenchant. That's amazing. A disenchant plus sort of, because it can hit non-basic lands they as well. They are field of the dead. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Take out that field of the dead. Take out that conqueror's foothold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Sad. <laughs> um, <laughs> and like all of them in this cycle, I don't know, literally all of them in the cycle, but there's lots of playable. You know, the red one makes two little dudes with haze. The white one does four damage, maybe to attacking or blocking yep. creature. You know, they do stuff. <laughs> Similarly, my last one here is Cave of the Frost Dragon. This is another one where this is one instance in a cycle that is good. If you control two or two or more other lands, this enters tap. Uh, taps to add white, and you can pay four and a white, and it becomes a three, four white dragon creature with flying until end of turn it's still a land so we got with adventures of the forgotten realms we got a whole bunch more creature lands and creature lands in single colors which we have had in the past and which i uh, love like fairy conclave and treetop village right i love those cards too we've had very good multicolored ones especially celestial colonnade and um the black one uh, lava claw reach that is that the really good one okay Fair I don't know that's the black red one. No, not sorry, not black red, black blue. Thinking creeping tar pit. Creeping tar pit. Yeah, yeah, creeping tar pit because it's unblockable and it just snipes walkers and stuff. That's a great. One. Anyway, we got more. Uh, single colored ones you get the point you stick this land in your deck and it's a land and it's great but also it's a creature and it survives through wraths and things right like you still have a board even after the board gets cleared and this one has evasion the black one is kind of cool it's a 3-3 with menace that exiles a card from opponent's yard it's got a little incidental graveyard hate tacked onto it so love these kinds of cards love jamming them in my cubes love drafting them when i'm drafting other people's cubes oh, yeah <laughs> so that's it that's my spell book, you guys. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, very nice. I feel like we basically after this have to talk about your cube <laughs> that was on Magic Online because okay. 
it just fits directly with the last few picks. Right. Yeah, for sure. Basically was Magic Online concession to all us poor people who weren't at KubeCon. <laughs> yeah. And they, they gave us an amazing cube. Yeah, the Cartographia cube that you designed. And maybe you want to talk to us a little bit about what the original, the first idea was for how you started. Yeah, sure. I, I give you some background of the cube. Absolutely. I guess so the background starts, I guess, before there even was a cube conceived. I'd run that cube back in 2020 for MTGO. The Cultic Cube, that was a heck of a lot of fun. And I convinced Watsi to give me data, play data about Ooh, that cube. Yeah. yeah. And I got together a bunch of mathematically minded friends who know more about these things than I to do some statistical analysis and so on on the data. That was awesome. So that's some log rolling for a, a video project I have on my Cultic Cube YouTube channel where we where we go over that data and see what lessons can be gleaned from it for both cube designers and cube players. So that was an amazing experience. So I had a, a you know, a relationship with some of these people at Watsi thanks thanks to that and they were they seemed to have liked that i had done additional work you know produced more content around the the cube than dreaming it and so on all of that stuff's awesome too but i tried to do some other yeah. stuff so later a few months before kubecon watsi reached out commissioned me to do another cube for them they were in the middle of transitioning the mtgo out of watsi and into a company called daybreak game they were taking over moto so then there was this like watsi wanted me to do this thing but it was kind of a weird period because daybreak is taking over the thing and it wasn't clear that Daybreak necessarily wanted me to do the thing that Watsi Watsi wanted and it was about to be their baby. So after some conversation, I got, you know, I got talking to people at Daybreak. They got excited. They got excited about the project. I, I tried to impress upon them what I understand to be the value of the Spotlight Cube series, which it sort of wasn't necessarily the case that they were thinking of continuing that. You know, you know it, wasn't, it wasn't just a done deal that that was going to be a thing that continued under their leadership. But I think those are awesome. So you saved us all. That is good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know that. It, yeah, I don't want to take take credit for that, but I definitely put in my my two cents there and tried to make a strong argument for why that's important. Seeing other designers outside of the Watsi ecosystem and what they're producing, get, seeing a range of voices in cube design. So anyway, so then they're like, cool, let's do this thing. And then they asked me to make a legacy-ish environment. And that was about it. They said, make a legacy-ish environment. And again, it has to be 540 cards exactly, but just see what you come up with. So that, that was the brief. It wasn't much of a brief. And also, I'm not sure I entirely fulfilled the brief and that it's not really a legacy-ish probably environment in the end. But I ran with the idea that I wanted to do something firstly that didn't just resemble moto legacy cube because why am i doing that i, I wanted to, <laughs> to do something that was sort of attacking at a different angle and had a different hook to it and i felt since neo since uh, neon dynasty you know i i appreciated the push towards enchantments and artifacts too obviously in that environment but i'd been feeling more and more as if like maybe enchantress could be a real thing in cube because i tried this in the past years ago and it like it, it, it didn't work and but we yeah. get we got more and more ops so i was like okay i want to do something with enchantress it's going to make enchantress a thing i also i want lands darn it i want piles and piles of land <laughs> so then i just kind of i started developing the cube with those two starting points and then things felt like sort of natural extensions or natural foils to those ideas like inclusion of you know inclusion of artifacts and of finding other ways of doing things with lands including like zoo strategies that are going to be multicolor based aggro 
Because another thing, I guess, was that I didn't want traditional aggro like red deck wins and white weenie and um, black aggro. I didn't want these kind of models to exist in kind of prototypical form. But I do want aggressive decks to put pressure on people who are doing the cute things. So I pushed it more towards artifact aggro and I pushed it towards a zoo. It's like multicolored aggro thing to provide that mm -hmm. kind of early pressure. So yeah, that's where that went and then I got as I developed the list I got some more friends on board lots of great people who are providing some commentary on the cube and ultimately then I went to Daybreak Game they they had offered to allow me to test the cube on MTGO so I scheduled a day with them that I could do that and scheduled a team and I got um there were 17 of us in case somebody like dropped, you know, <laughs> um, somebody wasn't able to make it. I wanted to have two pods that we could be firing. Um, so I gave the list of like MTGO names to, to Daybreak. So they created this super secret special event and gave every, you know, these, these people permission to go to participate in this event. Everybody was very excited because when they logged on to Modo, there was like super secret event that they could click on. And then everybody Ooh. had... <laughs> Yeah, and everybody had awesome. wizard tokens. I think each person got five wizard tokens, they were called, which was the currency with which you buy into the, <laughs> the super secret, super secret event. So that means that one of you 17 still has five wizard tokens lying around just in case for later. Well, uh, yeah, everybody's <laughs> got everybody's got some. None of us used all five for sure. So everybody's got, you know, probably one, two or three wizard wizard tokens with a cute little wizard oh, hat. That's so cool. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's in the collection cool thing a virtual souvenir yeah yeah it was great and people found it charming i think so we had a really good very long play session where we drafted 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 and we ran we weren't drafting to a complete or we, we drafted to completion what am i trying to say we wouldn't play uh three rounds necessarily after each draft but we'd uh, we'd play often two round then you know move on to another thing because we wanted a bunch of experience with a bunch of different environments look mm -hmm. at lots of packs you know very cool so then tinkered some more and then shipped the list to them and that that was that so it was a super cool super cool experience i really enjoyed it that's a really cool in-depth view yeah very very cool process. Yeah. It was cool. I can give you. Yeah, I'll give you more. I'll give you more inside baseball. You want more? More inside baseball? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was some back and forth that I hadn't expected with Daybreak Games, and I, I, I don't think I, I think this is all perfectly appropriate for me to talk about a super secret I mean, if, information. If you want to, if you want to ask them about it, you can ask them. I will be cutting stuff, and I can I can take stuff out. Okay, if, if necessary. I think it's I think it's totally fine. And so there was some card that I had to cut because as I sent drafts to Daybreak, I, I sent, they saw maybe three drafts of the cube before it was finalized. And they'd go through the list and cut things. And they weren't interested in the design themselves of the cube. They weren't really remarking on that, but rather remarking on cards that were problematic. And I had some experience with this two years ago with the first cube I ran. But there there were some cards that simply hadn't been programmed for MTGO or were bugged. In, they were known bugs and like they weren't going to fix, you know. Um, yeah. So fair enough. But here, this time, there were a problem of cards whose art was not acceptable. So, for example, Curdape really belongs environment. Darn it. I want that zoo deck, you know, and we've got Wildcat and the Coddle, right? It's like Loam Lion stuff. Curdape is out. Why is Curdape out? Because the original Curdape art is from antiquities, maybe. And it was done by Ken Meyer Jr. And this was back when Watsi wasn't purchasing the rights to reproduce the art from their artists so watsi doesn't have the right uh. to to produce that art anymore or they would have to pay royalties to ken meyer to you know to have the thing in the cube and they weren't willing to 
do that. And then Kurt Ape was redone in, I mean, later by Therese Nielsen. So they made new art so that they could keep printing the card. But now, as well we all know, Therese Nielsen is on the out at, at Watsi, so they don't want to represent her art at all in any of their product. And there was a similar thing with, oh, I don't remember what it was, but something by, he, he was very, oh, Noah Bradley. That's what it is, Noah Bradley. Oh, yeah, that was also something. He's another canceled artist because, yeah. I mean, we don't, we don't have to go into the story. But anyway, I had some card there. They didn't have any other art but the Noah Bradley art. Anyway, all of that was kind of interesting to me to see these additional sort of political pressures that go into design of Cube from Watsi's perspective that had been just totally hidden to me in the past. These aren't like, I'm, I'm not the kind of guy who gets super excited about magic art. These just really aren't considerations when I'm putting together cubes, you know, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. I was just gonna say, like, the whole process has been like a total mystery to me. And just like over the course of this conversation, I feel like I've learned a lot about, um, about how it works, like what they're looking for, the fact that we may see the continuation of the Cube Spotlight series, like because you talk to them about it. So all, uh, <laughs> you know, really interesting stuff that, you know, we were totally in the dark about. Yeah, and I'm sure this content is what Matt will absolutely lap up. He declared his goal to one day bring his cube to Magic Online. Oh, and just nice. hearing this will probably be super interesting for him. Okay, that's great. Yeah, for sure. That's good. It's uh, it's awesome getting people's perspective on the cube. It's sort of humbling. Yeah, sure. Seeing tens of thousands of people playing whatever and being able to tune into friends and streamers who are in the trenches yeah. doing the thing. Very cool. I really enjoy playing it. But I did have a, a bit of a rough time in the beginning because I'm deeply convinced that Fetchlands are just broken. Okay. And I am also the opinion still of the opinion that they are really important in this specific environment. They really make a lot of cards hum that otherwise, yeah, only just work. But yeah. From the zoo aggro to a lot of stuff with, with landfall triggers that just really goes off with multiple landfall triggers in one turn. Yeah. I really thought Fetchlands are the thing. And so I went in there and just drafted a bunch of Fetchlands first, thinking that I will end up getting into whatever lane is open later and these Fetchlands will fit in there. But this didn't work out. Okay. Because I think the reason for that is that and I'm not saying that as a bad thing, I think this is a good thing, that there is a relatively, compared to other cubes, big power level um, difference, like power level delta between the strongest, most impactful, uh, and uh, other cards, a bit lower level card. Okay. And if you just take the fetch lands first, you end up being too low on power to keep up with other people. Okay. And that was a very good lesson for me to learn and very interesting okay. as a player. Okay, that's cool. Also as a designer. Well, that's good. That's good to know. So what are some of what are some of the key cards that feel like the power spikes to you that you really want to be looking for and not passing over the second flooded strand? Uh, I I have to pull up the cube. It's been a little while and I don't remember yeah, every no, single Yeah, no, it's been it's deck. been a while. Um, this also fired during CubeCon, which was like actually the worst time for it. We well. Yeah, cuz I asked Watsi if I could brand it as CubeCon Cartographia to like build some hype around CubeCon and they were like sure call it whatever you want so that was awesome that was really nice of them but then when the event started like the day before CubeCon then it's getting some name recognition for CubeCon I'm sure I mean it definitely does that and that's great but it's not convincing anybody to hop on buy a plane ticket and you know go to Madison that very day yeah so the first things that come to come to mind when I when I look at the at the cube list are cards like Scoot Swarm and Greensleeve and mm. Tanya, 
those cards they really like impact the board very quickly and very strongly and if you don't have them then it's hard to keep up with other other decks yeah and, and there's also different stuff in other colors it was just the first things that i remembered yeah i i really really enjoyed feeling this that i just i can't just take the in my opinion key fetch lands i have to find a balance there and that's, that's yeah great. yeah for sure that's great yeah and the fetches are good when stuff like i mean titania cares about lands going away obviously that makes fetch lands even better and there's like the gitrog monster who cares about lands going to the yard oh, yeah. from, from anywhere right and so all of those allow for other cute small interactions to happen so lands that just sack themselves in general that aren't necessarily fetch lands but have other reasons to sack themselves like if near dead lands you can sack it to put two minus one minus one counters on something or barbarian ring you can sack it to shock something or the the lands that you can channel like we've been talking about all of those are super cute too for (laughs) interacting with these strategies that care about lands in the yard or going in the yard and stuff kind of a fun thing and you can also i don't know i mean you you can also avoid going hard into the fixing lands and draft a much more traditional deck and i think you can be quite successful even though you're being invited to explore this whole world of land and all these different colors you can you know you can draft a demir deck or something and it can be it can be extremely successful and maybe more successful for being a little more conservative about the the mana base than other people who may end up flailing around but if i'm going totally boneheaded after fetch lands then after that i will probably not end up in yeah, in the Arkborn Ravager deck <laughs> because yeah, yeah, yeah. that sure. that work picking right. up the fetch was a bit for naught. <laughs> right. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I go. I, yeah. I have very few gold cards here. One of the people with whom I was working was is David McDarby. He's an awesome guy, Wizards employee, and co-designer with. David White of the Live the Dream Cube, which has seen several inter- yeah. iterations now. David McDarby, he recently moved from MTG over to Arena, and he's in charge of the Arena Cube now. Anyway, ex- great, great designer, uh, super invested in Cube. Have a lot of respect for his his thoughts. Anyway, he was cracking me up when he was testing the Cube with us, and he said sort of amazedly that he's never seen such a delta between number of fixing lands and number <laughs> of gold cards. And this was upsetting to him. And like Live the Dream Cube is. <laughs> It's all about gold, right? It's like gold stuff everywhere. This commander, you know, commander-oriented gold card stuff. I, I have a real thing against gold cards. It's just strong dislike for gold cards uh, from the perspective of a cube designer. And I've banged on about this elsewhere too, but gold cards have the highest propensity of just going around the table when nobody wants them, especially three plus color gold cards. Like you've got some, um, you know, some Abzan card or whatever in the cube and nobody is in exactly those three colors. Well, that's just a, that's a stupid stupid card then right that that could have been something yeah. else that somebody might have wanted <laughs> in the cube so yeah, I, I i minimize gold cards in my design of yeah i do agree that's but thinking about exactly this was what back in the day made me make my pyramid cube peasant cube where i set the, the rules to myself that a three colored card has to be stronger in the vacuum than a two color card has mm. to be stronger than a single colored card mm. and if you're doing that at peasant you're ending up at some real junkers at um, one color. So <laughs> I really enjoyed that. That's cool. Yeah, that's a great way of thinking about it and of making those cards more desirable pick worth splashing for, like committing to those colors for. I like it. And it's so hard to push yourself to lower powered cards sometimes. I don't know. We are just so trained to 
look at stronger cards. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's fascinating me. Not not everyone shares this fascination for for weak cards. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say it's funny because if I were to submit a cube to Magic Online, I would probably end up receiving the same kind of criticism or questioning about like a large number of lands and small number of gold yeah. cards. One of our previous guests on the podcast, Tubelave, was actually the person who kind of really helped me understand like exactly how important fixing is for an environment and also how bad gold cards are and how frequently they're just kind of dead picks or well in my opinion it's the most cleverly like disguised drawback in magic you know people see gold cards and they think like ooh shiny like this looks so cool and special and powerful and you know they are a lot of the time and I'm again sure I'm preaching to the choir here but, but yeah like just in terms of how things actually play out with them they're more often than pretty much any other kind of card cards that just don't end up with a home yeah, yeah. They're, they're so yeah last dinosaurs of drawbacks that have survived modern magic yeah <laughs> yeah i'm, pretty I'm much. with you yeah and and, and uh, i guess an addendum to that or something that follows from that at least for me is when i do include gold cards because i include gold cards i'm you know i don't hate them to the extent that they don't exist in the environment i guess i should say for context we're i'm talking about cartographia here a 540 card cube and i include three cards in each guild so there's 30 gold cards and that's not totally true i guess there's oh yeah i've got a few five color cards too because you know why not have that payoff if you're doing that thing so there's three of those anyway another rule for me personally is i avoid putting in gold cards that are just another effect that you can get elsewhere even if it's better or it's costed more aggressively or something but like vindicate get that out of here dreadbore get that out of here like i don't need those <laughs> effects right i can go to i can go to red or i can go to black or i can go to white or wherever and get those effects and then i'm not tied to being in red black or whatever the thing is for sure yeah i feel the the same way and i used to run like the vindicates and whatnot in some of my cubes and i just realized like you know gold cards like i i don't hate them to the point that i won't run them i probably run more than you if i think about my peasant cube which last i worked on it i think it was about 480 cards i think i had about four gold cards per guild so you know significantly more than than three each at 540 i but yeah like along the way there i just realized like i want cards that showcase like what this color combination can do yeah and <laughs> just like that in itself is like enough of a reason not to like run the drawer the dread boards and whatnot because everybody already knows that that red and black can destroy things so yeah for sure right and just right just let red and black destroy the pair of those with whatever colors you want feels like i'm being shackled to a color pair when i get the dread it also kind of interestingly like uh to think about like breaking away from you know this this idea of running so few gold cards like it makes me think well you know what if you were to design like a gold centric cube like if you already run a lot of lands for the purpose of fixing relative to most people like imagine how many <laughs> lands would be necessary in a in a <laughs> format where like gold is a prominent theme yeah. right like that would just be that would be a ton of lands yeah, it would be that's true and yeah uh, much respect to people who do that i think you can absolutely have a gold cube have it for successful at, at cubecon i didn't have really any interaction with this cube but there's a cube called the rainbow cube uh, in the main event and i heard i heard good things about it you know people people really yeah. enjoyed it it was a super gold focused environment and it was one of these more unusual environments that people are excited about. It was a run-of-the-mill kind of... I do like gold cards. They are exciting to me, but I've, it's still what you talked 
well, you just have to be a little bit careful as a designer to add them and then, yeah, kind of make the cube uh, smaller by having it don't fit. Yeah, for sure. I can totally see that. And I am fully willing to admit that beyond this being, uh, I mean, I think I've got a case for fewer gold cards from a cube design perspective that makes sense to me for the kinds of cubes that I'm trying to build. But I also have to admit that I've got my own predilections as a player which must be informing this my view of gold cards as well because like I'll, I'll gosh it would it's almost never going to happen that i'm going to take a gold card pack one pick one i i mistrust that so much i feel like i'm already putting myself in too narrow a <laughs> spot so it has to be a really i mean really incredible gold card and there's not that there's really not that many of them there's like um maybe dak faden if i'm in a vintage powered cube that seems reasonable to me like or in a, an artifact cube <laughs> and an artifact cube. Oh yeah. gosh. Yeah, that seems good. Yakum's alluding to one of my first mistakes when building an artifact oh, cube. No. Yeah. <laughs> There's what else in what's that Demir spell that's basically demonic tutor or vampiric tutor? Oh, it's so good. But I'm blanking on the name. Know what I'm talking about? Think no, of it. really not. It's it's a blue and a black. And you like look at the top five cards of your library and you can put them back in oh, Lim Duel's Vault, I yes, think. Lim Duel's Vault. Yeah. And if you don't like them, you can lose a life, bottom them, and then you can do it again. Anyway, extraordinarily, extraordinarily powerful card, right? That let I mean you can look through your entire deck with that thing taking taking life. So anyway, that's a good card in the same way that I would slam a demonic tutor pack one, pick one. Anyway, not many gold cards. And I love monocolored aggressive decks, and then I love decks that are two colors or two color in a splash and i'm not one who typically goes crazy for the you know rainbow rainbow deck kind of thing those make me nervous even as i pay real close attention to my mana i think i just like them a little bit more than both of them. i do like drafting <laughs> five color aggro just picking up the gold cards that are aggressively slanted in all the different colors and yeah picking the fetch lands early because well i think they're broken <laughs> right <laughs> I should point out that, like, I love gold cards. I think they're awesome. I just really dislike running them. So yeah, it's like a very strong kind of yeah eternal, I don't know, I want to say like dichotomy about how I feel about them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of this has to do with drafting predilect as well. I guess, too, because I may be more wary than other people at committing early in a draft. So, I mean, that's a reason why I don't slam a gold card and go. Like, my friend and colleague Jonathan Brostoff, if he sees a Duretti and Genius Iconoclast pack one, pick one or something, he's going to slam it and not, he's <laughs> off to the races, you know? Um, and, you know, very powerful card, delighted to play it in my deck that can play it, but I'm not slamming it and then, like, making that deck happen. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I want to cruise for a while and like see what's going on, you know. I think you could argue that that's also unlike the designer's predilections because there are environments where you can't like slam something, pack one, pick one, and make playables. Yeah. You know, environments that are a little more punishing or, you know, where the consequences of, of forcing are, are real. But then there are other environments where you know, you're going to make playables no matter what, so you might as well force the archetype that you think is strongest if you think that, uh, like, that archetype is going to give you, like, better winning chances mm. than, than whatever's open. So Yeah, that's very true. A very good point. That feels reminiscent of certain retail limited environments where everybody knows that, I don't know what the thing is. Maybe not even everybody knows that this deck is the best deck necessarily, but this is the deck that all of a sudden everybody wants to do. So after BDM popularizes Spider Spawning and Triple Innistrad, then, like, everyone's gaga for spider spawning and we're all like everybody's <laughs> fighting over those components and you know it becomes extremely hard to put put the deck together when you get multiple people trying to force this thing yeah and for yeah. i guess well once this comes out it's over but to you i can say now for 
I think one more or the rest of this week, you can still force your spider spawn index on Magic Online. Okay. It's available. Uh, I think it's for format. the rest of the day. For the rest of the day. Yeah. I think tomorrow. Yeah, I think tomorrow's Throne of Eldraine. But okay. All right. You've missed your chance <laughs> already, listeners. There are probably listeners. some spiders in Eldraine. Yeah. Right. Wow. Another heck of a set there. Sure. Yeah. Plenty of super powerful printings. Okay. So I was thinking, you know, when you mentioned the, the rainbow cube in passing, like every time I hear like any mention of a cube at KubeCon, it just kind of, it almost makes my heart ache wishing that <laughs> that I could have gone. So is now maybe a good time to, to talk a little bit about that or? Yeah. You also just mentioned JBrawl. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Also a guest on your show, as well I know, maybe a year or so ago. Yeah. 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 Um, not not why that. Oh yeah. Okay. Cool. He really, he really tried to to get us to KubeCon, but yeah, yeah, from Germany it's not easy. And no. like, yeah, I just started the job, yeah. which wasn't clear at that time. But maybe, maybe there's a chance for next year. But yeah, intercontinental yeah, travel is is a real luxury that you have to think about. Well, yeah. if you are not monetarily only, but also environmental can't willing that so yeah. I, I i would love to go so <laughs> I, I, I will well we did have no but i i 100 understand that and i feel you and it was a i mean a commitment for me to get there as well so i'm in austin and this thing was in madison and that's you know that's not right around the corner that was definitely a, a couple of plane flights it's as it turned half out half a continent away <laughs> yeah right <laughs> and yeah doing something in europe well would be something else entirely but sort of improbably i'm i'm delighted that i had some friends from europe who made it so thomas crone who is the organizer of the cube Vitational in amsterdam yeah. he's been he's got to my knowledge the longest running cube tournament ever and he's been going for like i don't know 12 years possibly now something like that and it's wow. spread out so it was in amsterdam now it's in both amsterdam and harlem also in the netherlands and there's recently a cube vitational offshoot in germany some hamburg maybe but i could be wrong yeah um, they just had a tournament i didn't know it was linked vitational but i think just last week they had a Mm-hmm. The tournament yeah i was following that on twitter a little bit yeah i don't know how close their ties are but they've definitely branded themselves cubevitational uh, with uh, thomas's blessing as i understand it anyway thomas came oh that was so cool uh he was one of i, I mean there were so many people there that i've had these relationships with online now for you know years and years and <laughs> so awesome to meet them in person and uh jean-baptiste gagnepin was there from france and another online friend he made it to the top eight table it was a very nice pronunciation i just wanted to throw that in there <laughs> thank you yeah cool so we had a few people like that come but it was just and and we had people come from all over north america of course we had almost 200 attendees i think it was 179 maybe was the final final count and we had a lot of cube we got had a main event with 26 cubes and the main event funneled into a top 64 and then a top eight so there was a competitive element to it but it absolutely wasn't it didn't have a at least for me a Grand Prix or a uh, Pro Tour kind of feel. There wasn't a lot of anxiety around it. People were super friendly. People weren't like super cutthroat. It just felt like people were super happy to be there and super happy to be cubing and like cubing and cubing, you know, getting to play so many different cubes. It was really cool. We had eight events in the main event fire and each of those we were running between 15 and 18 pod people. My colleague Gwen Decker 
<clears throat> who is the developer of Cube Cobra website. He made this sweet, sweet app for us, a web app where attendees could log in there and um, say when what events they wanted to play, and then they could do ranked choice sort of voting for the cubes they wanted to play or didn't want to play, and then the algorithm would create the pods for them, and then you just check the app and see what table you're supposed to go to and what cube you're going to be playing. And it worked like super smoothly, and then reporting all happens through the app, and scores are being kept there. We had about 15 judging staff, which they really helped make everything run super smoothly. Oh and yeah, you hear so many good things about them. Yeah, they were... <laughs> You're really, really incredible. They were they were great and they were... It was just... It was great they were having so much fun too. It was an unusual environment for them, Cube, because, you know, there's just like weird interactions constantly in all these weird cubes, you know, weird stuff happening. I, I had an incident Yeah, all, like all of a sudden Sam Black running up to you asking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Asking about Conqueror's football. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, that was great. And then free play area, lots of cool stuff. You know, lots of cubing going on there and EDH and stuff. We had a Twitch stream that was produced by Michael Hoop and he did great. Justin Parnell was the man in the booth for most of the time, but lots of us took a crack at it. I got to be in the booth a little bit. I hosted a roundtable conference on um, mathematically driven cube design with friends from Lucky Paper and Lucky Paper Radio, Andy Mangold, Anthony Maddox, and Parker Lamasca. That was really neat. And that's something like this academic conference aspect of KubeCon is something I've been pushing, pushing all along. I really want this to be a thing. And this year, I mean, it was a thing. And I'm so happy about that. And it went great. But it was just the one thing. This was our trial run. And we had so much stuff going on, trying to juggle so many balls. We just like, we couldn't devote as much as I wanted anyway, to this element of it. But next year, boy, I want even, I want more roundtables and lectures and like lots of, lots of cube talk about design and about I'm, I'm absolutely in for that <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was gonna ask as well uh do you know whether that round table went on like the vod mm -hmm. and like oh okay so eventually youtube maybe yes yes i keep sort of talking to michael about that it, all of that's on his channel which is twitch.tv slash cloud goat ranger cloud goat ranger so he's got all the vod there and at some point he's going to export them to his youtube channel for posterity because the vod as i understand it will go away at some point although he says he's got 90 days because he's got some like super twitch but anyway yeah they're they're there the roundtable discussion is is there for sure uh you know lots of spotlight matches and things we had gavin verhey there as well wizard get to see him throwing down with sam black and caleb durwood the, is a well-known streamer of course he he took down the tournament in the end i guess to nobody's maybe enormous surprise but he made work of it and just personally it was so it, it was wonderful to see all of these people players for whom i have such respect see them tackling my environment because i've got two cubes that were in the main main event so it was really really cool to see caleb draft my cube Aleasis and see his read on the format see him be ex very successful with it and then you know have dinner with him later and talk you know exchange notes and get to hear his his take it was cool it was cool you guys what a what a great event oh boy, yeah just hearing of all this positivity in the cube community and it just being such a yeah all around enjoyed time people even bring their children to this event like it sounds like the most like biggest focus positivity ever like really sad to have missed it but i was very glad to have caught some um, of the coverage and that was yeah. also always very enjoyable 
Oh, yeah. And That's great. Just smiles all around, right? Yeah, for sure. It really was smiles all around. Everybody, like, raising their fists and shouting KubeCon. It was a good It was a good time. And I stayed in a house. I was in an Airbnb with seven other people. David McDarby and Derek Gallen and uh, Thomas Crone from Cubevitational in the Netherlands. Dan Schneider, the Devoid Cube guy. I don't know, a bunch of people you, I'm yeah. sure you all know from the community. David White, who's the friend of David McDarby, the co-designers of Live the Dream. Andrew McGregor. Greeny. Anyway, I'm just listing names. But my point is, there were eight of us in a house, you guys. There were eight of us. <laughs> no <laughs> sleep. I know what that means. Yes. That meant no sleep. That's exactly what that meant. Eight of us, all with cubes. <laughs> <laughs> eager to be Cuban. Yeah. The house, we, we picked the house for having an extremely long dining table. Oh, <laughs> we yeah. could all sit comfortably around it. I know that it. feeling about like checking accommodations according to the table available. Yeah. <laughs> Primarily. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, yeah, hugely fun. And lots of people were doing that, of course. Lots of like extracurricular cubing as well. It was a blast. It just sounds really amazing. The part that sounds the best to me is just like, it sounds like how they all felt about it you know just like being there was enough to make people happy when you have an event like that everything else is really ice right yeah so, <laughs> it sounds so amazing yeah um, that's true the community definitely made it i'm so thankful for everybody's goodwill and cheerfulness because people have followed so many magic events i've gone to very few in-person magic events years now even covid with notwithstanding but just following along on social media there's like constant grousing about stuff I'm, I'm sure the grousing is well well placed i mean i don't have any opinion about how these events have run i'm only seeing things from the outside but i'm so thankful for our, t our community for maintaining this positivity because that kept kept things awesome for everybody i think kept, kept it a really up upbeat celebratory environment was which was key people just like weren't being jerks to each other and they weren't trying to like rules lawyer each other and stuff and like that's fine if that's the way that you want to interact with magic and there are judges there to help um, sort through complexities but it was i think part of the charm was the fact that it was a relatively low stakes event too like we had we tried to have a flat prize structure so people got stuff like if you if you won a game you know of magic you were going to get something and then the top eight and top uh, and then the you know top two they got more stuff but we're not talking like they got a ten thousand dollar check or anything you know they got like some product that we'd gotten sponsors like a, a box from a big cube box that dragon shield makes or whatever you know and a one-of-a-kind trophy that's something the one-of-a-kind <laughs> yeah yeah one-of-a-kind trophy that's right so nobody like came here trying to spike the thing because they're expecting to walk away with this enormous check like that clearly is not the way things were working everybody's here to play the best they can and be having a good time and experiencing lots of different different stuff yeah i mean as someone who hasn't really made big tournaments like anything more than really fnm but you know i still like consider myself a competitive player it's interesting to hear about like the difference between like like trying your hardest and really like spiking things and making things cutthroat. Um, yeah, that sucks for sure. I'm, the first tournament I ever went to was a, a GP in Los Angeles, and it was in I don't know, maybe like 2000 or something. No, it was later than that, 2005. I'm not. I'm not telling the story very well. First time I went to a GP, you guys. I was playing with somebody who was, I think he said he was from Team Star City Games. No idea who the guy is. <laughs> Wasn't really that invested a magic player. And kind of a newbie, not total newbie to magic, but definitely newbie to be, being at a GP and in this like tournament context and at one point i i tapped my man and cast a spell and then my opponent told me that i tapped incorrectly or not incorrectly but i tapped stupidly and i should have tapped my colors a different way and then yes. i didn't like really understand but i just i just kind of went with it I, like i didn't understand why he was reaching over and 
tapping my mana differently. But he, he like, appeared to be trying to help me, although in this very supercilious, like, holier-than-thou kind of way, like, I know so much more than you, I'm a pro. So I was like, okay, I guess. Anyway, long story short, this was all a setup so that he he suspected that I had, like, I don't know what, a, you know, a Doomblade or something in hand, and he tapped me out of the black, and I had the goddamn Doomblade in hand. so he just like he just totally he just totally messed with me right to like tap me out of the out of the black mana and it was it was a learning experience for sure and like i should have said something or like not allowed it to happen in the first place so that was on me but also you know anyway what am i trying to say cubecon that didn't happen like that's not the way people play somebody misses a trigger you know opponents were like hey you know you, you you should do your thing right i mean people were people were friendly right we were still playing within the rules but you know it wasn't like super competitive right well that i mean geez what a story like that sounds just like a dreadful experience like first i'm gonna call you stupid and then i'm gonna like cheat like (laughs) wow right let me tap your mana for you. <laughs> I'm going to mind slaver you without spending 10 mana. Yeah, yeah. It was frustrating. He was so mad he'd been paired against me too because this was like round six and I wasn't doing well. And he was like, man, how am I playing against this, you know, tournament noob who doesn't know what he's doing? It's like Hayseed or whatever. He was very, he was an angry person. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, well. Yeah, well... Hopefully, even if that person was not very fun to play against in that context, I'd like to believe that even people who can be having a bummer in Magic when it's competitive in general would be able to enjoy CubeCon and lighten yeah. up a bit. It seems like it seems like that was the case for everybody, so it's great. Yeah, yeah, right. One or two little wrinkles maybe, but people were having a great time and things went really remarkably smoothly for our first go-round here. People were very respectful of the COVID precautions we'd taken and so on. We wanted to take that kind of thing seriously too, so we did. I'm glad there was nobody who was like up in arms and waving an American flag and screaming about fake facts. so great. It was a very good time. Yeah, one thing I, I thought to myself is the, the only thing I would be afraid of when I was there is to not play all the cubes that <laughs> because yeah, there were yeah. so many great ideas for cubes and i'm sure yeah. that all of them were like really carefully created and I, i'm sure i would have had a blast playing each and every single one of them but mm-hmm. there's no time for all of them no like you couldn't have played all of the cubes in the main event i just don't think it's possible and i i as an organizer we organizers were busy organizing which is like kind of a drag but also <laughs> it was fun because we're you know enabling other people's fun and that was great to see but we allotted each of us one event you know so i played one draft i played Derek gallons four packs of magic four packs of 16 cards a bunch of duplicates he breaks singleton pretty widely for wildcat and cattles and ephemerates and delver of secrets and all kind of stuff it was, it was super fun loved it had a great time drafting that thing i'm glad i got to do that but i'm with you that i was sad that i didn't get to do even more at least at the event but we had the house of cube so we, <laughs> as you say didn't get much sleep and we were <laughs> we were doing a great deal of cubing through the night so i got i got my fill of cubing in even if it wasn't in the event hall that makes me wonder like whether there would be any way to like lengthen the event so maybe just like an extra like non-tournament day thrown before the like main event would start or afterward it i don't know it seems like such a hassle for for every single day so well we did so it ran thursday friday saturday sunday october 20th through 23rd 2022 and thursday we made designedly not a main event day because we'd polled people and as you might expect there were a great many people who said they wouldn't be able to come on thursday you know like Mm -hmm. 
they can't could take that much time off work or whatever. And so the event proper started Friday when we had a big uptick in people, but there were still quite a few people Thursday. And we did some we did things Thursday, like we had Wisconsin versus Watsy showdown grudge match thing with the powered yep. cube. And that was great with Jonathan Brostoff and Caleb Durwood, Durwood and Sam Black against Gavin Verhey, David McDarby, and Gwen Decker was honorary Watsy for that for that thing. <laughs> and we had the roundtable conference and we had just a whole bunch of like cube free play and it was a there was a lot of cube happening but it was not at all competitive so that was nice oh and jonathan brustoff that morning took people on anybody who wanted to go on a tour of the capital since he's a state legislator in wisconsin oh that sounds cool. awesome i didn't it yeah i didn't get to go on snow, that. yeah <laughs> yeah that would have been cool i wish i could have done that but i was i was setting stuff up that was a fun kind of like get to know you play a bunch of casual magic watch some cool people play magic and get hype about stuff talk about magic design that was a fun low-key day before we got invested in the tournament aspect of it too which was as high key or low key as you wanted it and people brought cool stuff like uh, i don't know if you know aqua former watsi employee who lives in seattle and he brought a cube that he wanted to be in the main event but he didn't want to be in a main event he was so concerned about security because mm. it's a powered cube with every gosh darn card altered by the original artist and signed by the original artist <sighs> and i mean even every land like totally altered you know like christopher rush has altered all of the forests and signed all of the forests just it's insane it belongs in a museum (laughs) (laughs) it is it's a work of it's a work of art and good on him for even carrying it around we had power for that grudge match and for the top for the top eight match we were doing a vintage cube no proxies allowed in the main event because that was the only way we could get Watsi's support and blessing. So the power had been flowing in from Seattle by David McDarby, who'd picked it up from somebody else there who was a friend of Gwen Decker. It was a whole like saga. David McDarby was staying in my house and while the top eight thing was happening, McDarby and a bunch of friends wanted to leave and go get dinner and then go back to the house in cube. But I was still at the event. So then McDarby just asked me casually if I can bring the power back home and give it to him at home. And I had a small panic small panic attack i was like you want you want me to do what you want me to do what now you want me to be responsible for the power and he's like yeah there's a deck box it's got like the is it emblem on the deck box you'll see it it's like blue you know and red like is it that's where you should put them just like stick them in that deck box and bring them and i was like okay but hold up i need everybody here i gathered all of the other organizers around and i was like i want david mcdarby to tell everybody here that he would like me to take power I want like multiple witnesses that this is a thing <laughs> everybody understands that I'm going to be doing. And then I was very much wishing I had one of those, um, you know, briefcases that you handcuff to yourself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Carry the thing around. Yeah. Anyway, that, that, was an, that was an experience. It was fun, but it was, it was, um, it was kind of a stress, too. Yeah, I bet. It's so cool yeah. that like there was real power there, especially in a time when... <laughs> <laughs> now uh wizards is printing well much cheaper power so yeah that you know that's probably good for as one way potentially to have a less stressful experience but regardless like one one thing that i wasn't even thinking of that that geeky jackson mentioned to me the top eight cube was this vintage cube and drafting that was presumably like a prize in and of itself because i 
I was talking to Geeky and, you know, he had said, well, we didn't vote for it, but probably would have won a vote. And like, regardless, you know, it was this really cool thing that you don't necessarily get to do too many times in, in your life when it comes mm-hmm. to like drafting a paper bin. So yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a poor man. I don't have power. I've never held power, like <laughs> real power. So yeah, I mean, I was not at that top eight table. I, I doubt I would have been anyway, but all of we organizers, including J-Bro, bless him, agreed that we weren't going to participate in the, I mean, we were each going to draft for the sake of, you know, doing a draft. But if we weren't going to be in the top eight, you know, we weren't gunning for the prize. This was a bit of a hard sell for Jonathan Brostoff. Oh, but yeah. He, he came around. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah. So no chance I'm at the top eight table, regardless of the situation, I'm sure. I don't consider myself a great magic player. But I mean, what an experience to be draft a vintage cube. As you say, that is a, a prize for getting to top eight just in and of itself, passing that Mox Ruby by or slamming that Black Lotus or whatever you're doing. Right, yeah. Oh, it all just sounds so dreamy. I'm pretty sure Jakob feels the same way. Oh, for sure. Maybe I'll I'll even take that opportunity to say, I think Jakob was feeling so jazzed about <laughs> about CubeCon that it inspired him to write an article. So just flee plugging that. I'm sure to link that as well. And also, nice. Uh, yeah, I don't remember whether or not you've already seen it, but I know a bunch of people have, have commented on it and interacted with it. It's, you know, this article about like pretty much cube design for beginners. Oh yeah. Top 10 steps for cube design. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I totally saw that. That, yeah. that was an excellent article. Thank and, you very um, much. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I did my small part to boost it, I hope. And yeah, you did. Retweeted that with some commentary. Yeah. It was great. I yeah. love it. It was really good advice. Yeah. And your, and your I, comment, your compliment meant something a lot so <laughs> thank you for that oh yeah no of course i really did think that the article was excellent and super useful and the entire project of helping people who are in- getting interested in cube and in cube design i mean i think that this is a very this is an important thing that we can do for the community is to help more people get into get into cube and express their express themselves through cube design yeah i remember Especially when i started we, and... we know it from good sources that the winner of this year's cubecon actually does not currently have a cube or maybe since then has started one so <laughs> oh well okay well that's cool yeah you never that's know neat. who's gonna read the article that's that's for sure um it is really like a yeah. quintessential topic like you no know, i mean yeah just thinking about like what you've said john about like round tables and i don't know some of the conversations we've already had about uh, fixing and gold cards and that kind of thing i'm i mean i think so many topics would be great subjects for articles and yet like what you chose to write about Jakob is something so like accessible and like fundamental and just something that it is probably going to be useful for everyone even if you have a lot of cube building experience so mm-hmm, for sure and it, it's such a useful enterprise to people because i know when i started my first cube in 2011 i knew what cube was I had an idea of what cube, I mean, I guess that's kind of a stupid statement in and of itself. It's not as if cube is a monolith by any means, but I thought I knew what I wanted to do. But really, I got bogged down in details and questions very quickly. And of course, I'm poking around online and I'm looking at message boards and stuff and looking for advice about cube building and stuff is out there, but it's cobbling together an awful lot advice from a lot of people, which may be conflicting advice or it may be super invested in particularities like... Yep. people who are arguing about whether or not black aggro is a thing 
you know, or, sure. you know, stuff like that. They're like little micro debates and it's hard to get the like forest for the trees right. perspective, or at least it was for me back at that time. So yeah, you're, I, I would have killed for an article like, <laughs> like Jacob's. That's, that's amazing. I did a, I did a video project for my YouTube channel that was an introduction to cube design as well, which I, I hope is serving similar purpose for, for those aspiring designers. Oh yeah. I know I watched this as well. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like a good opportunity for me as a fairly recent newcomer to your YouTube channel. I yeah, I've also really enjoyed all the content there. That's another thing where like, just not that many people are making these YouTube videos that are dedicated to cube. And it's always really thoughtful content and uh, just enjoyable to watch. So another recommendation there. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah. And Yule's podcast is great. I think it's wonderful that we've got these different uh, media outlets, because obviously people consume different kinds of media, or people learn in different ways, or different things to strikes different people fans so articles podcasts videos you know just like chatting with people on on discord or through twitter interactions all of these are uh, all of these are extremely beneficial i hope to people who are interested in the topic and i hope that's true but i know for a fact that it's true for me and a lot of the joy of cube design is thinking through cube design with fellow designers and other smart people i love that love our cube community yeah and i really feel like in the last two three years there has been a lot of new content product around cube and i love so much of it and just make my day better and <laughs> i'm really happy for for this really sure. quickly with regards to the article I want to thank max again and also matt matt helped me streamline it um i was waffling Quite a bit more for going on too many tangents and finite with making my um, bit rumbly English more uh, <laughs> more streamlined and that's why why it turned out. It wasn't all just me. I, I was inspired by the KubeCon and had some ideas and then got help from the right. I feel like I'm a little bit like obsessive about that kind of thing, and I would like it to does make a huge difference. Though <laughs> I'd like to point out that I don't think I did anything conceptual. I think all of the concepts were already there and more or less remained unchanged. So <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And then I just wanted to mention quickly, because probably in the next podcast, not anymore, mention the Magic 30 Cube, because I really, really enjoyed it. And when I heard the idea behind it to have, I don't know, at least one or maybe it was more than one card from every major release in the past 30 years of Magic in this cube, I was very skeptical and <laughs> it just played extremely well. I really, really enjoyed it. I've, I think I've never been as skeptical about a cube and as positively <laughs> surprised. Yeah. Because well, it, that's it must awesome. have been so challenging to sift yeah. through all of that. And yeah, it just turned out so well. Just huge prop designer. Carmen Handy, I believe it was. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's cool. What? A, yeah, what an enormous project. I mean, she has at her disposal every magic card, every printer ever printed. Right? <laughs> that's a, but, yeah, and that's still an like a real bucket. tough restriction. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. That is, yeah, I don't know it sounds so cool and at the end of it i was kind of thinking like huh i should do something like this and i just like i thought about it and it was like i have no idea where to start <laughs> yeah. like it's just what an intimidating task and enormous time suck like i'm not even sure how you how you'd go about that i feel like maybe a way i would try to do it would be coming up with some some themes that appear like throughout magic's history like at the beginning but i mean how do you even know like what is super well supported and what is it like how synergistic are you hoping to go just so many questions that uh, yeah i don't know it was cool to see cube and unfortunately i didn't get a chance to draft the 
Cartographia cube, but I did get to play this one. It, I don't think I trophied very many times, but I think my record was a little bit under 80% win rate, so I was happy about that at least. Wow, uh, yeah. And I just, like, at the start, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I think my first deck was, like, red-white goblins. <laughs> As I went through, I just kept drafting white cards. It was like, I'm going to be, you know, like I said, red-white or I'm going to be black-white, or I'll be mono-white. And that's just, I don't know, that's something that I feel like is often true about me, <laughs> almost regardless of format, that I just end up drafting a lot of white cards, whether or not I want to. There were times <laughs> in this cube, like, <laughs> there were certainly times when I, like, didn't do. Like, I would, I would first pick something with, like, three red pips in it, you know, say, I will not play white, and then <laughs> one draft later... That wasn't necessarily how it went. So I guess, um, and this is probably something like that Matt or uh, someone else who, you know, has had more reps with this cube would probably be better at articulating. But it just, it felt to me a little bit like, like white got a little bit more than, than the rest of the colors did. And it's so hard to avoid that kind of thing because I think part of it has to do with the, you know, white cards and the design. But the other part of it is like so many drafters think of white as boring and just avoid it. And that's like the number one way I think I end up in it. So... <laughs> right, white's always open. Yeah, yeah I uh, just want wanted to to highlight how how much I like that. I really played it every three minutes in the train to work from work, um, <laughs> <laughs> and really, and I apologize for that. From time to time, made people wait because my internet disconnected <laughs> from the train, yeah, right. <laughs> just barely getting back in. But oh, I think man, I, have I have to interrupt you there because you make it sound like you're this like unpleasant Magic Online opponent who's gonna like waste your time. And I'm pretty sure you start every match with like, "Hello, good luck, have fun." So <laughs> it's hard to for me to picture like an opponent being frustrated to play against you unless yeah, they were if, hoping if, to win. <laughs> yeah, but if it's like this, if I if I disconnect in between, they have to wait. It's not perfect, but I'm just so happy to play. And <laughs> cool. And well, did you did you get a chance to play either Cartographia or uh, the Magic Thirty Cube? Because I think the Magic Thirty Cube, you mentioned mm -hmm. John that you didn't. No, I, I I didn't. I don't actually play much Moto, which is some some irony, I guess, since I'm making <laughs> things for them. But um, I played. I did get to play Cartographia just a little bit, not very much, because you know CubeCon. But then I've been playing it. Like, I've been playing it with friends in various ways too. So I've gotten quite a few reps in. I don't know, maybe like I've probably done something like a dozen drafts of of the thing in the final iteration of it, and I you know quite a bit of playtesting all the way down the line and i'm still i'm still having a ball i'm still like <laughs> you've probably seen i'm still posting on twitter sometimes like deck lists or fun interactions that i've you know that i that have that are tickling my fancy in the environment <clears throat> so i think it's super cool i wish i could have gotten to play it more when it was online watsy was going to give me a bunch of play points you know to play the oh, just give me a bunch of play points as part of the compensation for the cube and i just told him to give them to jbro because like <laughs> <laughs> I hardly play Moto. Just give them to the man who's on Moto all the live long day. Yeah, but um, I, don't, I don't. I doubt that Jabro actually needs play points. He's probably winning enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that's probably that true. That that's cube. probably true. Yeah, should have should have found a, somebody else to give him to, I guess. No, but that's that's cool. He, that's his thing. He can do his thing. Yeah, but maybe maybe next year. Well, maybe next year at KubeCon, I'll I'll have a paper version. Ooh, we can, we draft it there. That'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, that'd, yeah, and then have it on cool. MTG all at the same time. Also, yeah. Oh yeah, that'd be Negative that'd be fun. Should also yeah. mention, given your uh, your hit rate of having your cubes like 
successfully voted into the main event of KubeCon, it seems like there's a <laughs> you've got a good chance that uh, that, that would happen with Cartographia too. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah, maybe so. It is I'm sure it helps to say. In fact, with Aleasis, you know, that's a, a version the Cultic Cube, which was on Modo in yeah. 2020, was a version of Aleasis. It was kind of a you know brand, a fork of Aleasis, but it was I did certainly have that going for me when I could make the claim that vote for Aleasis and play something like that cube that maybe you played on Modo a couple years back. Yeah. But also people expect good cube play from you. They've seen your videos, they know you think about the stuff. It's just you are confident yeah. in your ability to create nice environments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> true. That. And um yeah. And that is a totally sympathetic to people who felt put out when they were paired in the voting. So I guess to back up for anybody who doesn't know, the cube the twenty six cubes in the main event of cube KubeCon were voted on by the community via Twitter. Yep. Pick one. Anything that was picked in the first round was in. And then anything that didn't win in the first round went to a second round and had one more chance to be voted in. So anything picked in the second round. So I'm, very, I'm sympathetic to people who were like, I was paired against, you know, some scion of the community. I was paired against Anthony Maddox, who's got a podcast and has cubes and stuff. So like, what chance did I have? So that's a drag. And we should, I mean, we can keep thinking about how better to do that. The way we'd handled things this time was for the first round of voting we organized groups of four cubes that were similar-ish cubes like these are all sort of traditional-ish legacy yep. powered cubes right and then these are all sort of like modern-ish cubes these are desert cubes or these are quirky cubes like uncubes and other things that are doing like playful thing because we wanted to have a diversity of cubes right so we didn't want like yeah so we wanted to sort of force people to choose vote in a cube that's like quirky fun uncube like we, you know we wanted to make sure that we had this whole range of cubes uh, available so that's how we did the first round then with the second round we just straight up randomized everything mm -hmm. you know i don't know that felt like the most fair way we could think of at the time to go about doing that but we'll we'll keep thinking about it and i hope i don't think there were too many hard feeling i i hope among people i didn't get a huge amount of that but there were there were some people who were sad that their cubes didn't end up in the main event cube and i i totally i feel that yeah it's right. just sad when you don't get voted for but you still have a chance to bring it and i know there were a lot of cubes played that were out of, outside of the main event and yeah that still is an absolute blast and um yeah i i think that is that it was probably a bummer beforehand but after the event i, I have not heard about that and i doubt that any yeah 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 so thinking true. about it from like the perspective of you know someone who might enter the event Let's say you get your wins, like enough of them to lock top 64 or whatever. And then you're like, mm, I could continue through through the tournament, but what if I really want to go explore some some cubes on the sidelines, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like if your if your goal there is to get as much unique like cube experience as possible, well then maybe you don't even pay that much attention to trying to lock top 64. Maybe you're just. Mm -hmm wandering around trying to <laughs> trying to have the best time possible so yeah that's true and also this could change in future years but just given the size of the event we had you know less than 200 people 
And not all of those were interested in the main event at all, right? So maybe there's, I don't know, 140 that might even be generous of people who are like pretty invested in the main event. It's top 64, right? So yeah. what I'm getting at is that your odds are sort of okay, right? <laughs> that you're going to end up in the in the top 64. So like if you trophy an event, you're in the top 64, right? Or if you trophy an event and you, you know, win some more games here or there. So there were, there were definitely people who lost their top 64 spot on Friday and on Saturday you know maybe they played another event for fun in the main event maybe they just did like side event stuff and cubed some other weird weird stuff so you didn't have to approach it with a super grinder mentality if you didn't want to and you could still be very successful and you could still be at that top eight table in the end well getting into the top eight i think is still like a huge accomplishment <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah that's that's another thing i was thinking about you know even if your odds are good of making top 64 like you're not just playing against anyone there's gotta uh -huh. be a pretty high level of like enfranchisement among the people showing up to KubeCon, I would imagine at least. Yeah, 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 for sure. And the top eight table, I mean, they were just, they were very good. We had a range of players who were there, which was charming. You know, we had people super, super into Cube. There were people who had you know never cubed before and maybe played some limited before, and so there was a range range of experience. But yeah, I mean, as you say, you get to the top eight table as you'd expect. It's not like the person who just started playing Magic six months ago who's at the who's at the top eight table. Yeah, there was some great great magic there it was a treat to watch them play and see the lines they take it was really super and be like commenting on it from the from the booth you know caleb has drafted my cube yeah uh, that was another thing that i heard people were very happy with the coverage in general being able to watch magic is just always such a joy because when it's something like cube how many opportunities do you get to watch someone play cube yeah for someone like crackshot or for someone like me who you know we couldn't make it this is the way we were able to experience the event like that and then like talking to people who went that kind of thing really cool that so much effort was put into that yeah you really brought joy to more than just the people at the event yeah that's awesome well that's kind of you to say i'm so glad that's great <laughs> i think that was also a very nice note to end on i guess so thank you very much for joining us a pleasure to have you chatting with us yeah thank you thank you so much for having me this has been an absolute pleasure talking to you all I'm, I'm proud to be able to share my spell book with the world thank you all for the opportunity for that and for your thoughts about these environments and creating cube generally and supporting our community this is this has been great it was so great to hear your your inside stories both of kubecon but also of working with mdgo it's like really 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 interesting content i think <laughs> super happy with yeah i think just like Jakob, I, I would love to know every detail about that kind of thing but maybe another time i can pester you a bit more about it so <laughs> yeah sounds good and fingers crossed um i get data again this time i'm working oh, on. oh i was it. just um, about to ask i can't wait for yeah, your videos uh, yeah yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll see what i get you know they've moved to daybreak as we were talking about and daybreak's like uh it's a new system and we don't do what they do and we don't have systems in place to export data and stuff. So we'll see what happens. But I still feel like there's a possibility. It may be possible. Sure. So let's hope. What I, as a, as a designer, would love, I, I doubt that you will be able to get this, but what I would love to see is like some statistics on what cards people on average prioritize that only played this cubes once or twice or three times mm, or 10 times or whatever yeah. to see like how, how the, there was a progression in or what people prioritize. Right. 
right. their first draft, second draft, third draft, and so on. Right. Well, yeah, I doubt I get that. I doubt it, but that would be the number one data that I would love to look at. Just Yeah, if it's anything like the data I got before, then that wouldn't be included. It's anonymized and it has no memory of yeah, yeah. individual users and their performance over time or the number of drafts that they've undertaken. Just each is a separate data points like which cards are picked when impact on average and how do cards correlate to average win percent average match win percentage and mm, yeah that kind of stuff yeah it, it makes a lot of sense but it would also be a way to aggregate the data and anonymize it and just really learn something as a designer but it's just a, a wish yeah. a dream i have not actually yeah. something that i expect <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. A beautiful dream. Be for... I'm with you. We'll save that for when you take over Daybreak, Jakob. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> but I'm not. Great. Well, I think I will uh, attempt to wrap things up by saying, I mean, if you stuck with us this long, you know, we really appreciate it. If you'd like to join our community, you can. Our Discord is an open place. I'd like to talk about magic. We run some drafts here of our own, our own cubes and such. And yeah, always just happy to reach out to you or contact you on Twitter and that kind of thing as well if you ever want to reach out. So yeah, with that, thanks once again, John, for, for joining us. And I'm looking forward to, to seeing what you do next, whether that's KubeCon 2023 or we'll see what, it, what it'll be. All right. Well, thank you all so much. It's been, a, it's been a treat being here. Appreciate you all and the work that you do. Thank you. Yeah. Bye-bye, everybody. And happy cubing. 